You are listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. In this episode of the Bottom Line podcast, we're chatting with Abby. I've wanted to chat with Abby for quite a while now. She's a teacher at my son's primary school and her husband, Marcus, was Angus's PE teacher and he tragically passed away from bowel cancer aged 35 in 2019. With two very young children and their whole lives ahead of them, Marcus's disease tipped this family's world upside down. Abby will talk us through her experience as a carer, wife and mother and how she's coping nearly four years on. Abby, thanks so much for joining me today on the Bottom Line Podcast. Thanks, Steph. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, um, I'm just so glad that we, we're getting to chat about this. I know. It's been a while, obviously, since Marcus's passing, but it's nice to see you again and to yeah, chat about things. Likewise, Marcus, although only for a very short time in Angus's uh, life at Carnegie, yes. he was quite integral. My child being quite a sporty kid. <laughs> he was. <laughs> So um, he has very fond memories and we often talk about Marcus um, and, and his little quotes. Yeah. Um, which, on that, what was the quote that Marcus always used to say? He had many quotes. He'd often have a lot of them stuck up in his office at school. Um, but his biggest one probably that a lot of people uh, would take away was comparison is the thief of joy. That's the one I often will roll out. I I never remember it, but I say to Angus, Mr. Champion's quote. (laughs) Exactly. A lot of people even to this day still tell me that they use that quote in their everyday lives. And I think it's a pretty good one to live by. It is. It's a great one. Kicking off, can you tell us a little bit about when Marcus was first diagnosed? Yes. So early 2018, uh, school had just started back for him and I was at home on maternity leave and he just started feeling lethargic and being a PE teacher and a personal trainer, he was very energetic, always up early going to the gym. And he just started noticing that he just needed to sit down during recess and lunch, which was uh, a little bit different for him. So there was probably about a two-week period before we got to the hospital part where he just had to be lying down when he got home. He wasn't feeling great. Uh, We even went to a wedding and that was probably our last thing that sort of got us to the hospital. We had one of his best mates' weddings and very excited for it, love a good wedding. And by 9.30, we had to go home. He actually couldn't stand and had to be lying down. So we were just like, this isn't normal for you. So, yeah, that week we got bloods done and, yeah, went to the GP and they sent us straight to emergency. So we are, we didn't have symptoms as such when you think about bowel cancer and, you know, all the toilet issues. And so you didn't have blood or bloating? Oh. Although being tired is one of the symptoms. It was just a two-week period where he felt lethargic and had a bit of a cold and just didn't feel right. Mm. Yeah, and then it just got to the point where he actually just had to be lying down and couldn't stand up um, for a long period of time. So when he went back to hospital and went into ED, did they find a blockage then? No, so it took a week. So we got into emergency and the hospital that we went to was actually quite a new hospital. So I don't think they had everything there, which was, you know, of course, fine at the time. 
But um, we went in and straight away they did scans and things at emergency and they came up with some lesions on the liver. That's what they told us. So we're like, oh, okay. So they're thinking obviously it's an infection of some sort. So they sort of just dosed him up on all these antibiotics. And then during that first week in hospital, um, we were just asking for the next thing. Okay, well, what are we going to do next? What are we doing next? What scans have we got? And then they took a biopsy of the lesions and it didn't come back as though it was cancerous or anything like that. So we're like, okay, great, good. Right. But then they were like, oh, I don't know about that biopsy. Let's do a colonoscopy. So a week later, we finally got the colonoscopy. And then that's when we got the news that uh, they'd found a tumour. How did you feel when you heard that news? I still remember the moment. Like he got rolled into his room and the surgeon was there and he was a really nice guy. And he said, I've got good news and bad news. Good news is I've found the problem as to why you're feeling like absolute crap. Mm. Bad news is with it, it's a tumour, you've got bowel cancer. And we were just, oh, my God. Like it, it was like, yeah, you, our world froze. It was just, it was also a bit like, what do you mean this isn't true? Like you're lying. This, this can't, cannot be real. And he left the room. And then it was just Marcus and I, and we were just like, what the hell? Like, what, what does that mean? What's what, just what? <laughs> what? So there was no support for you around that? No. So because, and again, because it was a new hospital, probably after maybe 15 minutes of the two of us just looking at each other going, oh, my gosh, we were then a bit like, okay, well, what's next? Well, who's, who's coming in? Like, Where's maybe even just like a nurse to come in and say, are you okay? Or there was just nothing. So that was, that was then quite hard to deal with. So bowel cancer would not have even been on your radar because, you know, at 34 years of age, you don't think of bowel cancer. No, and there was no cancer on my side of the family. There's, there was no cancer on his side of the family. So we were just like what do you mean? And Marcus went to the gym every day. He was a PE teacher. He was also a personal trainer. He was so fit, so young. And we were just like, what, what do you mean we've, we've got, we've got cancer. So it was really hard to deal with um, at the beginning. And then of course, you've got to make those phone calls to, you know, Mark, Mark's had to make the phone calls to his parents. And I did too. And everyone was just shocked at, what this diagnosis was because he he went in not feeling great but we did not expect to then come out on the other side with cancer in terms of that communication abby did it get better did you feel supported further on it did it definitely did and obviously we then um you know had an onco- you know an oncologist come to us um a few days later because when we found out also that it was uh BRAF as well and when he got, um, yeah, the PET scan and then that's where the lesions were in the liver. That's, you know, it spread to the liver as well. But that's when we get, got the care, I guess, the, on, the team, the oncologist and then with the chemo, the oncology nurses who are just amazing. Mm-hmm. They're incredible. Aren't they? So, yeah, so as I guess as our journey went on, the care was definitely there. But it's that, that initial diagnosis and I can still remember mine 10 years on. Yes. When you're not expecting it, and no one is, let's face it, expecting a cancer diagnosis, 
you're thrown for a six. It's when you need that care and your mental health space. It is, yeah. And we were, yeah, we in the new hospital, there was not that many people sort of on the floor in the suites. And if they were, they were, they generally were older people that um, needed care. So we were this young couple. I was bringing in two babies every day to visit Marcus, and we just were that odd group of people in the hospital that no one really knew what to do with because it was there was no other cancer patients I guess on the ward and we just stood out for the two weeks that we were in hospital that initial hospital period it's um yes it's something that I we really need to work on is this communication because it it does really impact you it's a really pivotal important moment isn't it it is yeah and they didn't even have a psychologist on the ward or anything like that so we were sort of the ones that got that going for the hospital as well. So then, you know, so then with our treatments at the same hospital each week, they, then, you know, she would come and visit us. So it, it did get better, but at the beginning it was a shock, yeah. So from a carer's perspective, yeah. how did you look after yourself through this journey? When Marcus was diagnosed, um, Grace was nine months and Willow was three and a half. So I was at home you know, with two little kids. And so when Marcus then came back home, um, yeah, I was his full-time carer as well as looking after two little kids. So when you say, what did I do for myself? Or the answer is nothing. No, there was no time. (laughs) But saying that we had so much support um, by our family and friends and our school community that it was, and it was quite unbelievable. So I did get little moments of, you know, it's a bit sad to say, but like going to the shops and doing, you know, a bit of a food shop on my own for half an hour. That was my release. Like, you know, little things like that. But I also wanted to be at home for Marcus and the girls. Like I wanted to be the one caring for him. So, and with the support of family and friends, but I took that role on and yeah, really wanted to do it well. And precious moments with him. Exactly. And because with the diagnosis of the BRAF, we knew it wasn't great at the time. Obviously, in 2018, things have changed. But in 2018, the prognosis was nine months. So we were very, very lucky. And we got 12 months with, um, with Marcus. But he was, yeah, he was at home for the year. And, it, and because the girls were so little, the fortunate thing about that was that they weren't at school. They were home. Mm-hmm. So every day, the four of us as well as whoever dropped in every day, we just had such special moments. And it was just the four of us, which was a really lucky thing that both Marcus and I said. And even to this day, you know, if I do talk about it with people, the times that I do get emotional is when I talk about the girls. Yeah. That it's it's the kids. That's it's my girls that I get emotional for. Yeah. Because they're so little. How did you tell the girls? You're a teacher, both of you are teachers. And we get asked this often, you know, well, oh, do I tell my kids, don't I? But you know, how did you broach that subject? Yeah. So obviously Grace being nine months, Jane. <laughs> Um, but with Willow, she was three and a half. So we obviously got advice as well from the doctors as to what to say to Willow. And we sort of just got told to tell her that dad's sick. Dad needs medicine through his arm because that's where his port was. Um, so, you know, every week we'll go to the hospital and we'll probably be doing lots of hospital and doctor trips. And we're going to try our best to get dad better. Um, so it, it was sort of just like that. So 
Willow knew he was sick, but again, at three and a half, she she doesn't really get it, but just knows dad gets medicine in the arm and we go to the hospital a lot. And how do you broach the subject now that they're older? When Well, so then when Marcus did pass on the day, uh, Willow was at kinder, so there was a palliative doctor at our house in the morning after I dropped uh, Willow off at kinder because we didn't really realise what was going to happen that day. Um, and she said, you're going to have to pick up Willow and you're going to have to tell her that Dad is going to die today. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, So now she's four and a half. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay. And Grace is one and a half, so, you know, it doesn't really understand. But the palliative doctor did say, which was interesting, she goes, just be careful, though. Willow may give you a reaction that may shock you because they're still egocentric. It's all about themselves. So, yeah, so just, you know, just... Just be careful with what um, she may say back. So, yeah, I picked her up from kinder, came home, and they were all, you know, our immediate family at home with us. Um, that's where Marcus was. And I said, oh, Willow, you know, we're, we're all here because uh, Dad's going to die today. We're, we're all here to now say goodbye and we're going to spend, you know, our time now saying goodbye oh, to Dad. Abby. So at this, you know, she sort of, you know, took a moment. She was like, oh, who's going to give me tummy tickles and who's going to wrestle with me? And I was like, oh, I am, and, you know, I'll try my best. And then just probably there was about maybe like a five to ten second silence from her and I'm thinking, oh, okay, what's, what's next? And she goes, can I have the iPad? I was like, sure, you can, yeah, no problems. So dealing with her at that age, you sort of just talk to her at the age-appropriate level that, you know, that she is. Mm -hmm. So as the girls have now gotten older, because it is, you know, almost four years on, Mm -hmm. it is just having more conversation. We now um, say the word cancer because now they know what cancer is. I obviously tell them not to fear the word cancer, though, because some people have cancer and uh, and are all good and survive and live a great life. But we do just talk, yeah, at at an age-appropriate level, I guess. And And do you talk, I would imagine you talk about Marcus. Yes, we talk about Marcus all the time. Still got photos and the girls at Marcus's celebration, some of my friends made these two beautiful boards full of photos of Marcus and family and friends. So they've each got one of them in their bedrooms and it's what keeps Marcus alive when we talk about him. Yeah. Because, yeah, and because of their short little memories of him, it's mm. my job and our family and friends to keep Marcus alive by talking about him. Yes, yes. It's such a, a difficult topic uh, for children to to grasp. I mean, you would know better than anyone being a teacher. Yeah. Talking about Marcus and the school community. Yes. Um, obviously, he had a huge impact and, you know, Josh Acklam, a f- friend of mine and and obviously a very great friend of, of Marcus's, started yes. the, now I'm going to get this right, the Champs Park, Elwood Park Run. That's it, exactly. <laughs> In his honour. <laughs> he did. Josh is amazing and our other friend Anna as well, Anna Rempfrey, she's yes. one of our teachers as well. So Marcus, Josh and Anna all into their fitness um, and 
on a Saturday when Marcus would do his personal training before he'd have his group down at Head Street in Brighton, he would do a, just a little five kilometre and he'd call it a park run. Just a little five Just a little five kilometres. Oh, my God, I can't even do a kilometre. But he would just was so into his fitness. So he used to do this five kilometres. And every now and then Josh and Anna would actually join him and, yeah, that you know, do their times and have a bit of a laugh about it. So when Marcus passed, Josh, with the help of Anna as well, set up a bit of a Champs Elwood Park run. And it was a five-kilometre run and they thought, well, it's a year later on his birthday. On his birthday, yes. On his birthday, Anzac Day. How about we just put it out to the school community because they were just incredible. Um, But if anyone wants to come down to the beach, we'll do a five-kilometres bring some gold coins and we'll whatever we collect, we'll raise money for Bowel Cancer Australia. So we were sort of expecting 30 people, maybe, <laughs> possibly bring down your friends and it was pram friendly, bring your dogs. It was just go for a five-kilometre walk, run, skip, scoot, whatever you can do. And ended up um, having 400 people come down. It was amazing yeah and raising yeah so much money that that we didn't think we would um for bowel cancer so and now it's something that yeah happens every year and josh and anna are incredible at organizing i think you've raised i checked i think nearly twenty thousand dollars in in that short period and we had covid in the middle there so we didn't have covid exactly and like marcus style he was so um adamant that you've got to time your runs or you know you've got you know so that you do your pb every time yeah so josh and anna that's what they've done and then they've set up you know age divisions and yep Angus was in there (laughs) (laughs) they it's such a wonderful I've come down for everyone even that one a few years ago where we nearly got blown away oh my gosh I was like (laughs) let's just go to the pub instead (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm with you but it's such a wonderful I, I think it's a testament to Marcus and a testament to yourself that the community rallied behind you but also continues to. And from Bowel Cancer Australia, thank you. Yeah. Also, um, the school hall, which I know. is named after Marcus. It's called Hall of Champions after Marcus Champion. Yes, our boss, Linda Jones, made it happen and we had a new few buildings in our school and one of them was the uh, sports hall. And it's just been incredible that they uh, honoured Marcus that way and it's now called the Hall of Champions. So around the BRAF, I just want to touch on that for a moment because I know for Marcus he accessed a clinical trial, but it was not easy, was it? Can you talk us through that? So when we found out it was BRAF, you know, at the very beginning we are like, what does that even mean? And obviously you then find out that it's not great. And one in ten, I think it's one in ten people that are diagnosed with bowel cancer have the BRAF. So it is quite common, but back in 2018, and it still isn't now, it's not curable. There's no real treatment. So what we got told when we were diagnosed with it was that we would go on the standard treatment of bowel cancer. Mm -hmm. And then once it stopped working, we would be able to get onto this clinical trial, which was a new type of drug that they were obviously experimenting with. And I think the trial was in phase three, I think. So it was, yeah, it was pretty good. So before before this um, the drug stopped working, after maybe the third cycle of chemo, Marcus had a cardiac arrest 
in bed next to me. So that was oh, absolutely awful. And it was the night of him getting the bottle taken off because they have their treatment for 48 hours. So he had the bottle taken off and, yes, in bed together he was watching the footy and, yeah, had a cardiac arrest. And thankfully, (sighs) thankfully he, you know, came out of his coma two days later and I think the doctor said, like, he had a 3% chance of surviving and coming back to his his normal self. It was unbelievable. So with that, we then changed up a bit of medication and things, but we were still going, yep, but the trial, we've got the trial. And then when the medication, when the um, chemo did stop working, there was a little piece of writing in the trial that said, if you've had any heart problems in the last six months, you cannot go on this trial. So that took us out of the trial. So we were just like, devastated because there was nothing else for us to do that 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 was our next step but our incredible oncologist he I think spoke to the drug company I don't know how he worked his magic but we got a a letter of compassion is that what it's I think yes 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 Yes. um because if we didn't get onto this trial we could access the drug still but it was going to cost us two thousand dollars a week yes yeah, so, and of course, we, we would have done it. We would have somehow done it, but it, it was just going to be very hard. And incredibly, we got compassionate grounds and we weren't able to go on the trial, but we were able to access the drugs that we needed to sort of play along the trial on the sideline. So that was, that was incredible and that was such a relief. But a stress you didn't really need at a time that is already incredibly stressful. No, exactly. So we were sort of, there was, you know, that limbo stage of, I think, probably, oh, probably like maybe two weeks where we were just like, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And if we don't get the drugs and we have to pay for it, that's fine. But how, how much money have we got? And, you know, what can we do? So it was incredibly tough, but then thankfully, yeah, the drug company said yes. Obviously, Marcus was a very fit person. Yes. How did he cope with the treatment? Oh, he mentally, he was incredible before cancer. He was such a positive person and you you knew him. He, he was had, a, had an amazing energy, Abby, when yeah, you were around him. He mm. did. And that's, I think, and so many people were drawn to him. And I think that's why, you know, that we had so much incredible support because of the person that he was. Like he would just be so thankful at the end of every day. He would, you know, write down his three things that he was thankful for. And he actually, after he was diagnosed, he actually kept doing that and he would write down three things. And I was like, don't you just hate the world? Like, don't you just, you know, like this is so unfair. And this was me at the very beginning. And he's like, it is, but this is is what it is and this is how we're going to deal with it. Like, Mm. you know, we can't change what's happened. We've just got to keep moving forward and we're going to do that in, in this you know, in the best way we can. So I would, you know, he did have down moments and, you know, moments of being really scared and, you know, am I going to see my girls grow up? Am I even going to see Willow get to her first day of prep, you know? So that was our goal, Willow's Mm. first day of prep to get there. But in general, he was just so happy and positive and, yeah, he he was incredible because I wasn't like that at the beginning (laughs) at all. 
and that's okay too. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's okay as well. Um, yeah. You know, everyone deals with stress and stressful situations in a different way. Yeah. Um, but he was an incredibly positive person. He was. So now, nearly four years on, how are you and the girls coping? Yeah, look, we are good. We are happy. We are healthy. We still grieve Marcus. I still grieve Marcus every day. I will forever grieve and forever live with a broken heart. But in saying that, you know, we live a good life. We're happy, healthy. I'm back to work. Willow's in grade two now and Grace is going to start prep next year. The girls are good and I'm good. It's just that little piece that's, that we will forever hold and that we are forever missing, but we are good. We are happy. Yeah. That's great to hear in the sense that something so tragic that you've been able to move, you know, move forward but hold him very dear, obviously. Yeah. And I know we as a community still hold him very dear. Yeah, yeah. Finally, I always ask people that I interview to give me three things that they want to take away from this podcast. What would your top three be? So the first one, I know when people talk about symptoms and things, Marcus didn't have that. But at the same time, that two-week period, something was really off. So if you do have any kind of symptoms or just don't feel great, just go and get yourself checked out and ask for more, 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 more until you're feeling, you know, right about it. So that's probably number one. Number two is if you are in a moment of desperate times, take the support. You need to just take the help you can get. And Marx's grandpa said something to him when he was um, going through all of this. It was um, that it's easier to give than oh, to receive. 100%. It's so true because the support that Marx and I got throughout the entire time, but just even at the very beginning, we were like, no, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. We cannot accept that. We cannot be a burden. But in the end, it was just, you know what, we need the, all the help we can get. So, And people want to give. That's it. And people want to give. Exactly. Exactly. That's how they can help is by giving or doing something for you. So, yes, if just take any help that you can get. And then the third one is probably just a bit of a life motto that I live by. And I know, and well, Marcus was the same. Just be kind. There is so many people silently struggling with things in life. And if you can just show kindness to people through your interactions, just with family, friends, and just strangers as well, yeah, the world would be a better place. Oh, those three points I think are very pertinent points and great points. Oh, thank you. Abby, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You're welcome. I really appreciate your time and I'm glad that we got to do this. I have been waiting a while. I wanted yeah. to, to, to give you the space, yeah. but your thoughts and the way you approached such a tragic moment, you're an absolute inspiration. And Marcus thank you. will always be very dear in our household. And yes. um, uh, thank you so much for joining well, us today. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for letting me share my story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.